There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, welcome back to Net Zero Carbon, the show at Freight Waves, where we focus on all things sustainability and freight and logistics. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and today I'm joined by Deborah Dull, Senior Research Director at Zero 100. Deborah, how are you and where are you? Thanks, Tyler. Really excited to be on today and share some thoughts. Uh, I'm doing wonderfully. It's a beautiful day here in the Canary Islands where I am chasing good weather and sandy beaches. Well, I love hearing that, and I'm glad we could catch up. I love the work you've put out even before, but now especially with Zero 100. Why don't you catch us up on you know, who you are and your focus in the industry and what Zero 100 does? Absolutely. Uh, listen, I love supply chain. I've been in this space for quite a while, and I keep uh, collecting degrees and collecting industries and different experiences up and down the supply chain. Uh, currently pursuing my doctorate, although quite slowly and really exploring the relationship between supply chain and the economy, I want to figure out what's the chicken and egg, what comes first, a strong economy or a strong supply chain. Uh, really interesting uh, case studies coming out of these last couple of years, of course, with COVID. So I'm excited to get into the, the data. With Zero 100, this is a newer role for me. I'm uh, coming out of industry and always in practitioner roles. And uh, we are founded based on the belief that supply chain should be zero carbon. Uh, and to get there, we're going to need to get to 100% digital. Now, while both of those numbers may be aspirational, we know that the timeline we have to get to 1.5 is really rather small. And some folks saying that uh, we've got to take bolder action than slowing down. And we'll talk about that uh, today. Uh, the digital piece is really fun. That's our, our unlock to how do we go after our emissions? How do we partner together with our suppliers and our customers uh, and really use the strength of supply chain to do something really wonderful? The space, I don't think supply chain professionals get to explore enough on all the good that we can do out in the world and the power that our decisions have. Uh, so it's really a, a tremendous organization and really bold thinking that we get to share across our member base. I've enjoyed reading all the publications you guys have put out, and I would encourage everybody, all our listeners, to check it out as well. Let's double click into digitizing to decarbonize, because that's super important, and it ties pretty closely into your one of your big focal areas, which is circularity and supply chain. So talk about you know, the new loop of supply chains and how practitioners should be thinking about it. Perfect, thanks. Uh, our co-founder, Kevin O'Meara, has uh, developed this concept of supply chains not as a linear planet to use to waste type of a model, but an infinite loop uh, that comes back on itself. And what I like about it is that it combines what we already know, that supply chains aren't really linear. They're multi-way flows of information, product, uh, and money. And these last several years, we've heard a lot about networks, digital supply networks, for example. But I haven't really seen an elegant way to showcase this uh, where we can wrap our heads around the ecosystems that we all function in. And so enter this loop. So if everyone just imagines an infinity loop, and then imagine on the left side are the traditional supply functions, uh, source, make, move. And on the right side are the traditional demand functions, sell and use, and the middle, of course, is plan. And we mix it up a little bit. After sell and use, we have a function we call regenerate, which bends this whole uh, flow back into itself. So that's really what helps this become a loop. And each function, of course, feeds 
the next one with regenerate bending back to feed source, which is a recognition that we need to start feeding our supply chains out of what we already have uh, and in different ways. It doesn't take virgin materials out of the planet or if we do it, we do it in a renewable way. So it's given a really nice mental model uh, and it's been a really fun one to start exploring uh, in our research and with the community. Thank you for that. I love that mental model because it really does take a lot of what many of us in the industry as practitioners learned for the last 20, 30 years and started bending it back on itself and forcing us to reevaluate many of the silos we've operated in. We know it's a chain and we know information sharing has been important for a long time, but now we have these digital tools that enable us to make better use of that data and break down walls and silos that traditionally prevented a lot of those regenerative practices from happening. How do we think about like starting points of focus for both circularity and regeneration for industry, if you're a practitioner? Yeah, really good question. And I love to talk about both. On our path there, I wanna talk a little bit about the balance of the loop. Uh, the idea of having these two sides is traditionally supplied, traditionally demand. I'll say traditionally because we think supply chain extends far, far further into this demand side than perhaps traditionally has been recognized. So we can then develop this idea of a balance between the supply, the supply side and the demand side. And if we think about the experience of many supply chain professionals, it feels like the demand side has gotten more investment, more digital, more sophisticated and faster as uh, consumers and customers willingly digitize themselves kind of to become part of this ecosystem. And the amount of investment and innovation that's gone in to try to predict uh, demand. Meanwhile, in response, the supply, the supply side has to run so much harder and further uh, to try to catch up. And so we have this imbalance and this imbalance is the basis of this kind of regeneration uh, circularity piece. So for example, as we think about these different functions that I had uh, mentioned before, uh, traditionally source make move, sell use and regenerate, they have natural pairing. I just finished a, a research uh, report on the relationship between regenerate and source. And what I found was that we can take a lot of the traditional challenges that organizations see, uh, let's say, um, uh, greenwashing or carbon heavy activities. And at the same time, we're seeing a huge demand for regenerative behaviors through our operations. So what are we going to do? In supply chain, we don't often say like, ooh, we can help with something that has to do with uh, saving the world slash communicating to directly to our uh, users. That, of course, has changed in a lot of industries, but I would say generally there's still a gap there. So if we want to fight uh, greenwashing, for example, we can be more transparent uh, about our operations. And just this week, we saw a huge slew of organizations calling for this. Apple is calling uh, on their upstream suppliers to tackle carbon and become more transparent. Dell is saying that vendor transparency is now required to win deals. Um, Brightling and SourceMap just partnered uh, to show the, what they're calling the first ever fully traceable watch. So all of that context to say then that this idea of circularity and regeneration, I sort of mentioned this at the beginning, but just today, the UN has said there's no credible path to prevent the rise of 1.5 degrees, which is, of course, what we need to be doing as a planet. 
uh, a lot of comments and a lot of uh, discussion on LinkedIn, basically saying, let's stop kidding ourselves. We're already in a post 1.5 world. So what that means then is it's too late to talk about sustainability, sustaining the way that we are functioning and being able to continue to do that forever. So if we say, look, sustainability, it's a little bit late for that. We need to start getting into regeneration. Uh, And regeneration, this might sound just nuts, but imagine a world where we could put a supply chain in place and every one of our operations actually improves the state around it. Uh, And we can do things like carbon capture, of course, and folks are familiar with that by now. But I think we can challenge ourselves to use packaging that's actually good for the world and figure out how to make streams cleaner, air cleaner, less congestion, so forth and so on. And regeneration ties into circularity, of course, as a third principle, but I find two and a half principles of the circular economy, there's only three, uh, are often forgotten. Oftentimes they hear circular economy and everyone goes, oh, that's recycling, uh, which it is part of the story. But the first principle of the circular economy, of course, is to use less to begin with, uh, which people tend to forget. So they want to digitize everything. But depending on the use case, that actually may violate the first principle because now you put everything on servers and servers are real physical things and they exist. The second principle is to keep materials in play um, or let a thing remain as itself for as long as possible. And this is where it breaks down is the idea isn't to recycle everything. The idea is to use everything even more. So um, allow your glass bottle to remain a glass bottle rather than breaking it down. And then, of course, the third, the third generation is the third uh, principle is regeneration, uh, which is a tough one to get our heads around. So that was a whole whopping monologue of the relationship between the loop, circularity, and regeneration. But shoot, it's one of my favorite pro- uh, topics to talk about. So <laughs> I can tell, and I love listening to it. And I, uh, I don't think I could read it all back to you at any given moment. But I was tracking with you, and and I very much align with the need to highlight the urgency here. And I'm glad to see even this week, a lot of news coming out about firms trying to accelerate this trend. And I do, I know Zero One Hundred's initial membership is probably some of the larger companies in the world that have the spin, that have the scale, that can drive some of these new processes and practices. I'm curious though, as we start getting research data points back, what are some, you know, tangible things that small and medium enterprises can start looking at to input some of these practices into their systems? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, Get really curious about where your stuff is coming from. Uh, I think ultimately there's many ways that we can create demand signals. We often talk about consumer-led demand, but there's a lot of B2B demand. And the joke that I always make is if you look around you right now, all these items in your house or your car, your office that were purchased probably by you, a supply chain professional purchased that first. So we are sort of the first line uh, of demand. And so the more that we ask about where does this thing come from uh, and really push all the way back to the planet, or if you're lucky enough to have, you know, repair and reuse in your operations, where was that uh, item before? And of course, we see a big push for this uh, uh, in Europe, for example, is um, part of their uh, circular economy uh, focus areas right now. There's requirements about product passports coming up. Um, So imagining life over life tracking for different products, um, which we have for capital equipment usually, but the idea of putting that type of investment into non-capital equipment has so far been cost prohibitive. And that's where I think 
digital really starts to play a huge role. So if you're not a massive organization with lots of money to invest, although they would argue that it's tight everywhere right now, uh, is to get curious, how many miles does your most popular product move? Uh, and really start looking at the distance of our bill of materials. This is easier for some products than others, but you know, as you start thinking about perhaps your next project for a really smart intern, I had to set them out for a couple of months to try to figure out each and every single component all the way back to the planet and add those all up. And in some math, we can see uh, really interesting books are starting to be written about supply chain. And one of them, you know, they say the iPhone goes 240,000 miles before it's ever even turned on by a user. And so there's some approximations we can make to start understanding just the sheer distance that our supply chains are traveling. Now, I think we're probably in a better position right now than we were three years ago, because all of a sudden we started understanding how fragile borders are uh, when disruption happens. And I think disruption will continue. And I think that's pretty much well uh, accepted at this point among supply chain folks. So you may know more now than you ever have and try to push on that even more. Uh, and that becomes the basis of understanding, does this widget need to be traveling that far? Um, or are there advantages, even with cost advantages, to making that supply chain just a little bit shorter? And I'm pumped that we're seeing a lot more use cases, cost-effective use cases, potentially emerging for IoT, for edge computing, for traceability and tracking, and seeing that proliferate across the supply chain, giving us visibility to what was previously as you said, a cost prohibitive exercise for many companies to try and get that data. I'm excited to see where that leads us, um, both through the lens of corporates demanding that data and potentially governments regulating and acquiring that data. We talk a lot about this show about carbon, net zero carbon, future fuels, technologies, how do we get there? How do we think about addressing carbon and emissions specifically in our operations? Like, What are you guys hearing from the community as some of the biggest and quickest levers that could be pulled? Yeah, a really fantastic question and a really tough one. Um, one of the elements that we're finding in our research is that we have an over-focus on uh, calculations and accounting and reporting. And I think this is a just a really tough one because without understanding, of course, where we are today, it's really hard to make progress. At the same time, I feel like we're in a position where emissions are emitting, whether we measure them or not, they're going out in the world. And uh, we're sort of kind of past the point of knowing, needing to know exactly what's happening. And we just need to go shut it down. And I'm sure it's going to, you know, people are going to think, well, how can you do that if you don't know where to look? And I think one of the challenges is we've made this space pretty complicated. Um, right now, we have generally accepted emissions factors. So if you buy a kilogram of this material or you spend a dollar on that type of material, there's a number that you can use to get a general idea of your carbon. And I think that's very, very, uh, maybe not frustrating, but off-putting for supply chain folks. Our whole world is taking a variable cost or a variable time and reducing it. But if we're given a factor that we can't impact, then how are we meant to actually help to reduce that? So I think we need to go find uh, a different way to think about carbon. I think uh, even the bucket of scope three emissions, which is normally 
percent plus of an organization's emissions is too big of a bucket. And even some of the smaller buckets underneath there are too big of buckets. And so how can we really go and start to tackle some of this uh, together? And I think also a general sentiment is, is together is the only way that we're going to do this. So simplifying. Uh, generally, vast majority of emissions come from combustion of some kind to make energy or to make engines move. We take fuel and we light it on fire. So going to just figure out where combustion is happening in your supply chain, in your value stream, way, way, way upstream uh, is a phenomenal way to focus. Just that. I say just with air quotes here. Uh, and then, of course, we see a bunch of emissions from um, ag and landfill. So depending on what goes in and what comes out of your supply chain, depending on on inputs, ag may be a big focus for you. And if you haven't got to zero waste to landfill yet, that may be another good place to start. But this idea of going to find combustion really, uh, I think, is somehow not focused on or not simplified enough to we see a lot of actions around transitioning to renewable energy, which is really important because, of course, that helps us to transition here. Um, and we do that by going and finding which parts of our operation are currently on grids that are not fed by renewable energy. We've got uh, a podcast ourselves coming up soon, actually, about energy and really excited uh, for folks to hear some of the sentiments of uh, perspectives around the world. Uh, and that is going to help to simplify this journey for us, I think. So. All that to say, there's these combustion points through our supply chains. And the challenge for all of us is that our supply chains weren't designed for us to go and find carbon. But the good news is supply chain professionals were trained to solve for anything. And I just don't think we've been given the right brief, go and eliminate emissions. And I think an interesting way to look at this would be, what would it take to become a zero carbon supply chain, not like, why is this hard? Why can't we do it? Show me all the risks, show me all the bad things, but what would it actually take for us to transition? And I've seen, of course, in an aggregate, a dollar estimate that widely ranges, but it usually starts with a trillion, one trillion, a hundred trillion, more money than exists in the world, trillions. Um, but I just would challenge that if there's a profession out there who can go and tackle our operations and solve these impossible problems, it's going to be us. And I think we've proven to ourselves that we can do it these last couple of years and we can get through one big global disruption. And now we've got a whole bunch of global disruptions coming up uh, with climate change and the impact that we're going to start seeing, I think, even more of. So all that to say, super hard to do. But I think if we do what we know how to do well, which is simplify super complicated problems and then focus on the areas that we can impact the most, which ties back into figuring out how long our supply chains are, where are, are these materials coming from, who are our partners, 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 um, which changes sometimes day by day. Um, and the more that we can go after this together, uh, the more successful, of course, we'll all be. Very well said. I agree and love that we get to do that on this show to call out to people to educate and at least provide the initial starting point and resources for folks to understand the importance, the resources you can go find and how you can prioritize action because it is a collaborative effort for all of us tackling a big macro problem that we each use our skills and resources to positively impact what we can control. So thank you for that. Maybe let's leave and focus a little bit on what's next for you. What are you guys working on at Zero One Hundred? What's your you know next report? And and maybe I'm curious personally a little bit about your studies. I know you're pursuing a PhD, but tell me a little bit more about that in that program. Uh, up for uh, next at Zero One Hundred, uh, it was a great question you had earlier about 
hoping that we can get more use cases uh, around, around circularity where it doesn't actually cost more. And it's not going to feel like an, a quote investment by our businesses, because I think all of our purse strings are going to get tightened here in these next couple of years. Um, my colleague, Michael Silverman, is about to publish a report actually on the win-win-wins of circularity, uh, focusing exactly on that. So I'm really excited for the research he's leading in the space and the professionals and innovators that he's talking about or talking to. Uh, we are also uh, launching our own podcast called Radical Reinvention. I'm really excited about the folks that we're talking to. And this is all about digitizing to decarbonize one radical reinvention at a time. So each show we focus in on one uh, current event uh, and we get to hear from our co-founder, Kevin O'Meara, and some of the other folks in our research team. So uh, have a watch for that. It's gonna be the next couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about. Uh, we are planning for our forum for next year. We've got an executive forum for chief supply chain officers coming up in March next year. Uh, so we've really got this idea of community and roundtables and getting folks together to try to figure out what can we do and how do we accelerate this together. So lots moving. Uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled to pieces about what the team is putting together. Uh, so watch this space. On the academic side, I will say <clears throat> it's like a PhD in training. So it's a DBA, it's a doctorate of business administration. Uh, PhDs actually require you to quit and do it full time, which love that, except the quitting part and not being able to hang out with uh, cool people like you. Uh, so it's uh, really interesting. So when I was, I, I worked at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for a couple of years and had the wonderful chance to act as uh, an impact investor for supply chains, mostly uh, in African countries. And the challenge we had was, you know, the whole focus of the Gates Foundation is to figure out how to accelerate progress in a lot of um, life-saving spaces. And in this case, it was where do, how can we go and invest in supply chain in a way that can unlock health outcomes and unlock economic outcomes, which are very much related to each other. And I went and looked for this research at the time of, of what does it take in a supply chain in order to help spur this growth or it, or can it not? Is that not how it works? Is it more just a product of economic growth? Since then, I'm, I've seen a couple of doctorate studies and a couple of academic papers focused on a related on related topics, but haven't seen the robust type of research that um, I would love to have had access to at the time. And if we think about uh, international development more broadly, I think would be an incredibly valuable um, piece of information for them. And as we start thinking about the dramatic shifts to many economies around the world, especially as we are seeing a huge acceleration in the energy transition in Europe right now. Um, and as we start thinking about impacts of different economic models like circular economy or donut economics, what is it going to take to shift these items? And so I have eight years left. I'm going to need all of them. Uh, but I'm really excited to get into the space and really um, take some numbers apart and see what's really possible. I think the field of supply chain, of course, is new in name, but moving stuff around and doing trade is not new at all. Uh, and I think we're here to stay what we're going to call ourselves. I hope we come up with a noun because I get so jealous that engineers are like, I'm an engineer. And then I'm like, I am a supply chain professional, like nine syllables just to say. Um, so I hope we have a noun, but I think uh, for the most part, our profession is going to be who we are for a really long time. Uh, and to see how we can really impact 
the world in a positive way, uh, I think is is the most exciting thing. And as we see these new generations entering the workforce where impact and values become really important for them, uh, I'm excited that supply chain can offer them a good place to start their careers because it is so connected to how the world works and the decisions we make make such a difference in the lives of folks in communities around the world. Uh, even though sometimes our jobs are deciding how many rose gold phone cases versus pink phone cases need to be out in the world, but dang it, it does make a difference because those phone cases come from someplace and uh, <laughs> the just-in-time world is now becoming a just-in-case world. There's going to be a happy medium in between and I think it's going to be digitally running. I think we're going to be printing on demand by with sustainable materials as close to the consumer as possible. Uh, so stay tuned as we watch uh, the supply chain world around us transform into more of lot size one. Uh, and I'm just really excited to watch this field. I don't think there's a more exciting field on the planet. And as you say, a lot of times supply chain is everything and sustainability touches everything. And so if you're coming into this field now, you should be encouraged and excited that you have the whole world in front of you to be able to make an impact. So just get started. So I love that. I love this conversation. I could geek out for hours and hours and hours. And I look forward to reading more research and watching the podcast, hopefully having you back on soon. But thank you so much for taking some time out and for your patience and uh, explaining like a small child to me. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Tyler. Take care.